It was all possible because of Miss Helen and Doña Cristina. These women, who were neighbors, offered an invitation to me, Curtis, and the 20 or so students in our group. An invitation to see. I was 25. Curtis and I had just gotten married, and we were youth pastors at a church in Thousand Oaks, California. The church already had a partnership with the Dream Center in Los Angeles, where once each month, our students could serve, quote-unquote, a neighborhood with their adopt a program. For our part, Curtis and I often went with both the junior high and the high schoolers, so we were there twice a month, spending the morning with the neighbors who called the Pueblo del Rio Housing Project in South Central home. Pueblos at the time had 10,000 residents, the largest Section A neighborhood in Los Angeles. And every Saturday, Adopt-A-Block came with a bus, some groceries, diapers and wipes if they could find them. They were there to build connections with the community. And it was all possible because Doña Cristina and Miss Helen basically let them take over their front yard. Cristina would even let people use her own home's restroom since there wasn't a public one available. Along the way, I learned that Helen and I share a love of pedicures. I love me a pedicure. One day I remembered my supplies and she and I sat in the shade on the lawn and did our toes, making small talk. I'm not totally sure how I knew, but I realized that day that painting nails together was the symbol that we'd built real trust. That she believed I was for her and her neighborhood and not a youth worker with a white savior complex. Which, to be fair, I likely was in some ways. And if I am less of one now, it's the gift of people like her who have changed me. She shared stories with me. Even a dream she had for the neighborhood. A revival of their community barbecues on holiday weekends. And we put bright mango-colored polish on our feet. She invited me in. It was a gift. These two women made it possible for me to learn in a new way. Proximity changes everything. Proximity is what moves someone from knowing about the projects, the population, the school spending per capita, to hearing a local woman's vision for her neighborhood. Proximity is what makes your pain my pain and your dream my dream. It can ignite our empathy and compassion in a way that a safe distance simply cannot. Proximity is what builds trust across divides. Proximity is how we really see. It moves us from sight to insight. Is it any wonder then that as God sought to bring us into God's own family, as God moved to expand God's own from the Jewish community to include the Gentiles, As God took the boldest action yet to demonstrate love for humanity, that the strategy was get proximate. We have certain theological ideas about the character of God, including that God knows and understands all things. So from God's side, there is seemingly no need to come closer to humanity. God gets it. And there's the idea that God can do all things. The power to act and save is all there. No need to come closer. God can do it from afar. And of course, there's the fact that God is everywhere, so God's already close to us, albeit invisible. Isn't that enough? And yet, God chooses proximity. By coming close, getting proximate to us, Jesus reveals God in a way that God had not been known before. 
whatever is possible for God up until the incarnation, it seems that there's something of God that has only been revealed to us through the action of becoming a human like us. Let's dive into John chapter 1, verses 9 to 18. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. In many ways, John 1 is a bit of a prologue to a story. It sets the scene, alludes to big themes, introduces important characters. And then, to quote Marianne My Thompson, what follows in the pages of the gospel is the narrative of the life-giving work of the word that became flesh. The gospel is not a series of theological propositions, although certain convictions regarding Jesus are assumed and voiced in the narrative, but the gospel of John is the account of Jesus of Nazareth, his works, his words, and their life-giving power. So since we're in the prologue, why don't we just take a look at the characters that are in this story and how we're being introduced to Jesus. Because as we look at each character, we're going to find them highlighting something important about what God is up to with this whole becoming flesh business. First, John identifies the world. He says in verse 10, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The world, John says, didn't recognize Jesus. They don't see. Insofar as God is, has been, everywhere all-knowing, and all-powerful, there is a subset of the world that just doesn't recognize God even so. Then, John mentions Jesus' own. He came to his own, John says, meaning the Jews, who do not receive him. These are the people who ought to have been the most prepared to identify and celebrate the arrival of their long-awaited Messiah, but they reject Jesus. Now, that isn't true of all Jews. Nicodemus is going to show up in just two chapters. John's really making a broader point about how God is moving and God's people are dragging their feet. John isn't actually accusing all Jews of dismissing Jesus. Now, this rejection that is laid forth, though, it's contrasted by a third group, those who do receive Jesus, namely non-Jews, Gentiles. Folks that were thought to be relatively unimportant to this whole messianic fulfillment thing. And yet here they are in verses 12 and 13 of the very beginning of the whole book. They're the first group with a positive reference as the ones who received Jesus and have become children of God. Up until this point in all of scripture, those words, children of God, they would have been saved for Israel. But as God gets proximate, there's a shift in who can become children of God, namely everyone, and how they become so, namely by receiving Jesus, who is God made flesh. The family of God expands from exclusive insiders to all people who have the insight about who Jesus is. And already we get a clue that insight 
does not actually come from the insiders. In other words, as God gets proximate, business as usual stops. And we get this in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. These 10 words, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. They represent a core belief of our Christian faith that Jesus came fully human and fully God. They are a turning point in our story that God became just like us in order to transform the trajectory of humanity. God saw the state we were in and said, I'm going in. This is where our vision as a church comes from. We want to follow Jesus into the world together because in is where he is. In is how he moves. All we want to do is be there with Jesus as best we can. In the four verses that then follow the profession, there are some commentary for important truths about Jesus, but they almost read a bit like a bullet point list if each bullet was incredibly loaded with a ton of meaning, which we can't entirely unpack at this point. So verse 15, John testified concerning him, meaning Jesus. John cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me. Because he was before me, meaning that Jesus was present since the beginning, present in creation, present in all things as God. Verse 16, out of Jesus's fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace. This fullness, Marianne My Thompson says, is especially a reference to the abundance of God, the plentitude of God that Jesus is making known. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. That is grace in and of itself. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, meaning there is now something even more. And verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with God has made God known. Fully God becomes fully a person who then fulfills what has been prophesied fulfills the story of scripture up until that point. Here's Jesus, full of grace in place of grace, and is a full vision of the God we've never seen before. Now, those positions I mentioned earlier about God's character as being everywhere and all-powerful, all-knowing, they're true, but they are incomplete. Being all-powerful, all-knowing, all-surrounding, They're not the only things that God is. God moves toward us, becomes a person like us, and from that place reveals God to us in new ways. Because now everything this man Jesus does is a revelation of the character of God. When Jesus touches unclean people, God's like that. When Jesus eats with so-called sinners, God's like that. When Jesus rejects authoritarian and hierarchical religious practices, God's like that. When Jesus honors a woman from Samaria whose status, ethnicity, gender, they all mark her as less, God's like that. When Jesus sends away the accusers of a woman caught in adultery, God's like that. Every radical and rule-bending action from Jesus, every invitation to drink living water, 
eat bread of life, remain in Jesus like a branch nurtured by a vine, carry a yoke that is easy and light, be utterly satisfied as you live in this abundantly good place Jesus is inaugurating, God is like that. Elton Trubood puts it this way, the historical Christian doctrine of the divinity of Christ does not simply mean that Jesus is like God. It is far more radical than that. It means that God is like Jesus. Now, all this goodness, it flows in two directions. First, it flows toward us. God gets proximate to us, and that proximity changes everything. What people expected to see when God sent the Messiah was not what they encountered, but what those with insight found was the fullness of God inside a human being who was expanding the family of God and offering an abundance of grace. The message of proximity is join the family. The message of proximity is that grace replaces grace, replaces grace endlessly. This message incidentally is the thing that John believes a witness has when he uses that word. The word's gotten all loaded and confusing nowadays, and we're going to unpack that next week as we dive further into the book. But what he means most of all is that we have seen this person, Jesus, who represents an abundance of grace to us all. And then the other direction all this goodness flows is toward the world where we are invited to get proximate to others because of how it embodies the love of Christ. Jean Vanier says that tenderness is the highest form of spiritual maturity. And I listened to Father Greg Boyle, for whom I have tremendous respect, make further commentary on that quote. He said, tenderness is foreign. And I think the whole incarnation was necessary, not because of sin or salvation even. It's that God's love needed to become tender. That's why it happened, because then you receive the tender glance and you're compelled. You have no choice but to be that tender glance in the world. Behold the one beholding you and smiling. He goes on and says, folks come to our place, Homeboy Industries, and unspeakable things have been done to them. They didn't, quote, make bad choices. They certainly aren't bad people but unspeakable things were done to them. And then to come to a place where they are held with tenderness, whoo, that's so foreign. But I think it's the singular agenda item for our God. And if we knew that, whoo, imagine how things would change. Grace, replacing grace, replacing grace. The fancy theological word for all of this is incarnation. God made flesh. And the invitation comes for us to also live incarnationally, getting proximate for the sake of love so that others might find their place in the family and so that we can all live as if the truth were really true. There is grace upon grace upon grace forever because of Jesus. Amen.